0: Good morning. Um, So the reading today is from 2 2 Corinthians chapter 2, chapter 3, verse 7. I knew I got there. Sorry. Now, if the ministry that brought death, chiseled in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites were not able to gaze steadily at Moses' face because of its glory, which was set aside, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry that brought condemnation had glory, the ministry that brings righteousness overflows with even more glory. In fact, what had been glorious is not glorious now by comparison because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was set aside was glorious, what endures will be even more glorious. Since then, we have such a hope We act with great boldness. We're not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from gazing steadily until the end of the glory of what was being set aside. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains. It is not lifted because it is set aside only in Christ. Yet still today, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts, but whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We all, with unveiled faces, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord, who is the Spirit.
1: Well, good morning. Uh, if you are new, uh, my name is Mike. I'm the new lead pastor here, and uh, I was the guy who was on stage just a little while ago, uh, in case you fell asleep. But um, it's a privilege to uh, to continue our journey through two Corinthians, and uh, this this kind of. This is going to be a really big passage and it's going to flow into the next and I'm wondering if even we might do a Q&A at the end of next week, just to kind of, you know, it's half, going to be halfway through the series, a chance to kind of check in, um, hold me accountable to God's Word but also to explore what it means for us in life. But uh, let me begin by sort of just, you know, pondering what it means to aspire to greatness. I think it's just a human thing, right? At least in my experience of being human, to aspire to greatness. You know, we might think of straight away like, you know, our, our sort of desire to be promoted at work. You know, part of that comes from wanting to be recognised and acknowledged as doing great things, but also wanting to do great things. Uh, the Great Resignation, as it's been called, largely in the US, but has definitely flowed over to Australia a bit. It's kind of that moment in sort of COVID history where a whole bunch of people just realised actually, my job sucks and I want a better life and I want to do better things and so the grass is definitely green on the other side, especially if it's raining this much and, uh, and off they go. Uh, I did it, I came here. Um, LAUGHTER your version of greatness might simply be being a good bloke, and I know that's not for everyone, especially the ladies, but you know, our, our version of greatness uh, might not be kind of great in kind of, you know, the, the imaginations of others, but we still aspire to kind of just being a good person, being acknowledged, being respected, being a great parent, being a great friend. Aspiring to greatness is a human thing, it's all tied up in our sense of hope, meaning, recognition, Belonging. I can think of my high school days where uh, I, I was the only guy from my primary school that went to this particular high school and said, here's my moment. I'm going to reinvent Mike Hasty and be cool and belong and be great. And I think I went through three distinct phases. I listened to rap and played basketball and hung out with those guys for a bit. Uh, I listened to heavy metal and tattooed stuff on my arm with pen for a while. Mum didn't like that. Um, I, I tried to be a surfer and listened to kind of Jack Johnson and cruising music for a while. And each, each phase had different people that I belonged to and found belonging in. And, uh, you know, as, as I've grown, we just get more sophisticated at doing that, don't we? It's still part of us as being human to want these things. But this self-transformation project, it is largely flawed. It has at its centre a selfishness that we can't escape. I've nearly finished watching Inventing Anna on Netflix, the latest streaming chart topper. Uh, if you have finished it, don't tell me how it ends or i have a hunch. Uh, it's the story of a deluded person uh, with, with extraordinary delusions of grandeur, who is obsessed with living out who she thinks she is and she does it, uh, she does it by stealing, uh, lying, burning everyone around her just so that she could be who she imagines she is. It's an incredible story, a true story but it highlights the tragicness of the self-transformation project. Now, as we look to God this morning and ask what it means to be gloriously transformed in Him, we get this wrong too, the kind, of, the kind of myths we might carry that where we get it wrong is, for instance, God's not involved in my life. And there's all kinds of reasons why you might feel that, but that's a myth you might be carrying. He's not involved in my life, just my little life. Number two, it's up to me to be more like Jesus. Like, you've got to pull yourself up by your Christian bootstraps and just kind of by sheer will be more like Jesus. Or three, God will give me a good life. Part of my transformation is the good life that God's laid out for me and i just got to find it. Friends, 2 Corinthians in this passage is Paul's, this whole letter even, is Paul's heart on display for the church as he, as he lives out the gospel and holds it out to them. And if, if, if it's Paul's heart, this letter, it, this is the heartbeat, this chapter. This is kind of the centerpiece. Some of the parts that we read might not feel like something kind of gloriously, you know, central And yet, I want us to sort of tease out what it means to be transformed in the hands of the triune God. I want to show you how much more glorious this is than the self-transformation project. And I want to bust the myths that we carry about how God may or may not be at work in our life. The last two verses is where we're going to spend most of our time. But I'm going to follow Paul's logic to start with and look at the glory of God. Now, as we begin, uh, keep your Bibles open, whether it's an app or kind of a paper version, uh, as, we, as we kind of begin, verse 7, now, if the ministry that brought death, that there's not a way to start a glorious passage, isn't it? It's, um, it's sort of a bit of a downer. Um, but Paul is kind of starting, uh, we're kind of here, where, where Cole led us up to last week by comparing the old covenant, the kind of the old arrangement of how God and people w- would come together with, with the new covenant and the ministry of the Spirit. And and while it doesn't sound very glorious, the ministry that brought death, Paul is, is, is saying that, that both of these covenants came with glory. And especially so because God was at the center of both. So the old covenant, even though we look at it sort of, you know, down our noses, it, it was glorious. And the fault was not with the covenant, it was with the people. So Paul wants to see just ha- how wants us to see how much of a massive deal it was. For us to come to God, in the old and now in the new. And he's doing this because the preachers around him are kind of preaching a, an old covenant kind of way. They, they, despite the Gospel and the freedoms we have in Christ, they kind of bring people back to kind of the ways of the law and of religion and we find all kinds of creative ways to do that. Again, that's a very human thing, there's a safety in rules and regulations, there's a way that we judge others, judge ourselves, that's so easily done in religion. And Paul is guarding against that, that we might know the glory that's been revealed in Christ and the freedoms that we have in Him. Now, a way of appreciating the Old Covenant in this context is through Moses' face. Weird, yeah? But that might kind of trigger a bit of a sort of memory of a story from the Old Testament and Paul is kind of draws upon that particular moment, it's from Exodus 33, like right back at the beginning of the Bible, second uh, book of the Bible and it's that moment where you know, uh, just prior to that, Moses had had led God's people out of Egypt. Under the hand of God, there was the the pillar of fire by night and the cloud of fire by day and there's nothing like having a sense of belonging and glory saying, I'm with that God. It was an extraordinary moment Uh, but it also came with complications as every good drama does. So Moses had just met with God at Mount Sinai in this thunderous, glorious moment where God chiseled uh, letters on stone, that's what, you know, see that language there that Paul uses here, uh, the Ten Commandments, and Moses comes down the mountain so, so happy, so filled, so, so, it's such a glorious moment, only to find that the Israelites had kind of got a bit bored with Moses hanging out with God, had said, give me all your earrings, your, your necklaces, we'll melt down, make a golden little cow, and say, here Israel, here's your God that brought you out of Egypt, and in that moment, God's glory nearly consumed them. Such was his anger at their rejection of him, at, his, at, at, the, yeah, at the rejection of him, and yet, in his mercy, he did not consume them. And God continued to meet with Moses. And just before he gives them the second set of stone tablets, uh, God and Moses are meeting in a tent. This is Exodus chapter 33. It was called the tent of meeting. Very creative. Uh, and the, the chapter describes how Moses would meet with God like a friend face-to-face as it were, although not actually face-to-face because God is Spirit but in such intimacy uh, that that when when God would meet with Moses, there there was such sort of uh, a friendship as it were, such a vulnerability, such an openness that Moses would dare say, now show me your glory. That is a bold moment to say to God and the Lord replies, you cannot see my glory and live. Are you kidding, Moses? (laughs) And yet, God, in His mercy, gave Moses a glimpse of His glory and what happened then Moses' face was so radiant, having just seen a glimpse, that when he came out of the tent, like was any other ordinary day, everyone around Moses was petrified. Moses actually had to wear a veil over his face so that he wouldn't freak people out. That is an encounter with the living God, just got a glimpse of God's glory and the reflection of that on Moses' face freaked everybody out. Here is the God who leads a nation by pillar of fire, who redeemed Israel out of Egypt with extraordinary power, created all things, flung stars into space, and to catch a glimpse of His glory is to be forever changed. How is one meant to be friends with a God so glorious? To see Him is to die, and to approach Him is so restricted and terrifyingly glorious. One might think of the Old Covenant as living life with a nuclear reactor in your backyard. It's a ridiculous metaphor, I know, but I'm trying to sort of get, help us get a sense of the power and the grandeur of God, that to have such power in your backyard, in a nuclear reactor, you would be, want to be damn sure you know how to approach it, uh, how to respect it. And God had set up a whole Old Covenant to help them respect His glory, that the sacrifices, Uh, the temple, the priests, all of that was to help them appreciate the holiness of God and to acknowledge that you cannot just walk into the glory of God, especially as sinful people and so the the sacrifices were part of uh, atoning, a sort of a a very very biblical word, uh, trying to be at one with God while dealing with sin and God in His mercy accepted those sacrifices so that they could approach God but even still, it was very restricted. This is the ministry that brought death it brought death to the animals who were sacrificed so that israel could be near god but it ultimately brought death to people because the law was not powerful enough to change people's hearts it only highlighted their sinfulness and brokenness and waywardness why would people turn away from the glory of god I mean, I, I, sometimes my head boggles that they had such display of God's glory and grandeur and yet even they turned away from God. How much easier is it to turn away from God now? Why, why would we? Why does it, why, what is in our humanity that, that rejects the glory of God? Well, all I wonder if the, the modern mantra uh, that we all know so well sums it up the best. That is, I want to be free to be me. Now, that's a phrase that actually would not have made any sense through most of history. That's an interesting thing to think about. But it sums it up pretty well, don't you think? That rather than go through all the rigmarole of kind of some old covenant law, just be you, it's so much easier. (laughs) But just to dig into that a little bit, we're left with a freedom to pursue the self-transformation project that's actually crushing. This is what one philosopher called, condemned to be free. That is free without God to discover your own purpose, your own meaning but but buried by the responsibility and angst of finding it. I wonder if this is the source of so much anxiety today. We have small versions of this when we're at Subway and we're mid-conversation with our friend and then we're asked, what do you want? Oh my goodness, there's so many options, I don't know. But multiply that with the weight of finding purpose in life and our freedom and responsibility to transform and we're crushed. But in God's mercy, He did not abandon us, even though we abandoned Him, rejected Him. We might as well have meddled down our necklaces and held up a gold calf. In His mercy, He has given us the ministry of the Spirit. That's what we see in verse 8. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? If the old covenant was glorious, how much more so the ministry of the Spirit? And as we look through that kind of opening paragraphs, we see instead of death and condemnation, that there is righteousness that overflows with more glory, that's verse 9. Instead of what was temporary or set aside in the Old Covenant, we'll find a glory that endures, that's verse 11. It is the basis of our hope, empowering action with great boldness, that's verse 12. Instead of hardened minds and necessary veils that kind of prohibit our access to God, All that is set aside, verse 14, only in Christ, who died for us. (laughs) How will we know God in His glory? Like, how will we personally commune with Him, encounter Him, be transformed in glory, and yet not have to siphoned through some kind of religion or old covenant that only condemns? Or coming from the other side, how might we enjoy a freedom, a true freedom, and not be crushed by all the possibilities it opens up, in anxious fretting of how to use it, these two things come together. In the end of this passage, read it with me, verse seventeen. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the oh, let's do this. I meant rhetorically, but let's do it. Uh, let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, let's start again. Start again. This is good. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now, this is the diamond. This is kind of the core of, of this letter, the heartbeat of Paul's theology of encountering Christ and being transformed. But, but it, there's, there's a density to this, isn't there not? Like as you read that with me, thank you, uh, you know, you, you can't help but feel like there's so much here, I need to kind of wrestle with it a bit. And, and so let's kind of, let's look at it like a diamond from different angles to appreciate its beauty. And the first thing I want you to know is just uh, the triune nature of this. That is, as Christians, we believe in God, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, all working for us and with us. And so first up, we've got the Lord and whenever we see the phrase, the Lord, we cannot help but think of all the way that's used in the Old Testament, Yahweh was the, was the name given to us, that's the name of the Lord, that is God. So here we have God the Father, the Godhead. And then we have the Spirit, used three times through this passage or this section. The Lord is the Spirit and so we have kind of this, this equating of the Holy Spirit with God. That is, God is the Father. God is the Son. God is the Spirit. Or actually, let's put the other way around in the kind of creeds. Uh, that is, that the Father is God. The Son is God. The Spirit is God. Uh, and we see that the Spirit is from the God, as we say, from God at the end. There, uh, the Spirit it kind of it, it comes, it, it sort of flows out from God to us. But where is Jesus in this passage? Well, the Son comes into view when we see that phrase, the glory of the Lord, and and also the kind of this language of image, and if you skipped over to the next chapter, uh, in chapter 4, not to steal my thunder from next week, but we see language like, we find the glory of Christ being the image of God, verse 4 from chapter 4, and also in chapter 4, verse 6, and God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. And so when we see language like, the glory of God revealed to us, or, or the image of God, That is the Son. And so we have have here Father, Son and Holy Spirit. I'll come back to freedom in a moment. All of God working for us, with us and in us. So we have the Spirit who gives us freedom to encounter God, encounter God's glory in Christ even whom we are being transformed to be like. Let me try and summarize that again, I'll say that again. We have the Spirit who gives us freedom to encounter God's glory in Christ, whom we're being transformed to be like. Now, if we flip that, we would have the complete opposite of the Gospel. It would look like something like this, we are restricted in approaching the glory of God and we have no hope of becoming like Christ. What we have in the gospel is the complete opposite. We have hope, sure hope, that we are being transformed to be more like Jesus as we encounter Him through the freedom of the Spirit. This is good news, friends. This is gospel news. This is the source of rejoicing, the beginning of peace, that we have the Spirit who gives us a freedom to encounter God, who we're being transformed to be more like in Christ. Friends, are you weary of trying to become... Does religion eat away at your joy? Are you so ashamed that you hide your shame? Have you been so hurried in in kind of your weakness? Sorry, are, are, are are you wrestling with your weakness so much that you've sort of buried it in a strength? Are you trying to be real to other people, knowing that there's a hole inside... Are you looking for ground to build your life upon? This is the beginning of strength, of meaning, of belonging, of glory. This is it, Jesus is it, He has opened up a new way and given us His Spirit. Jesus Christ is the glory of God and He has brought us into His presence through the Spirit. I mean, I let your mind boggle that the same glory of God that kind of repelled the Israelites, that kind of, just a glimpse of His glory so radically transformed Moses, any more would have killed Him. We have been brought into the presence of that same God by the Spirit. This is life. There is freedom. There is glory for all of us. And friends, by the Spirit, we can now enjoy peace with God, communion with God, Let's come at this another way, just to kind of ground this, lest it be too conceptual. Many of us will know someone who just makes us a better person by being in their presence. You might think of somebody, someone who kind of, um, you know, it, it could be, like let's imagine a boss at work, that they're just the kind of person that inspires you and to kind of work with them and be near them just kind of lifts you and makes you better. But because there's a power dynamic at play, you kind of feel like you've got to play the game a little bit and you've got to be the kind of person they want you to be and that gets a little bit complicated, but still they lift you. You might even have a friend who, who kind of inspires you to be a better person, bring, you know, helps you become that better person. And that's, that's even better, right? Because when they're a friend, you can be real with them, you can be vulnerable. Friends, who we have in God is not just a friend. He is not a mere mortal like one of us who we can just have a beer with at the pub. No, you cannot enter His presence apart from the way He has opened up to us in Christ. And yet, by the freedom of the Spirit, You can sit in His presence, as vulnerable and as weak as you are and be fully known and fully loved and lifted up. This is the point of what Paul is talking about here. We have a freedom to be in the presence of God. You do not have to pretend and if you do, you're only kidding yourself because He knows you fully. What are we to do, though? Like, you know, you get to that sort of part of the passage where you just go, oh, all right, that, that's amazing. So, what do we do? H- have, a, have a look at kind of where the verbs are in this passage. How are we to respond? Where's the call to action here? Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, okay? And all with unveiled faces we are looking at... Okay, there we go. We got, that's the closest we're going to get to in this passage, I think. We, we are looking, as in a mirror, at the glory of the Lord, And are being transformed. It's not, and then transform yourself, it's that as we look to Christ, we are being transformed. Do you see how different this is to the self-transformation project, where you have a version of yourself, however that's formed, even if it's by religion, and then you do all you can to kind of become that person? The Gospel is not that. As we look to Jesus we are being transformed and you know when you can look to Jesus? Anytime, whether you're messed up and at the bottom of a pit or whether you're on high on the mountain, keep looking to Jesus. So, for the person here who's trying really hard to be a Christian, rest, rest. To the person here who's feeling parts of your life are being hidden, unveil your face. To the distracted, that's me, look. To the person considering Jesus, find glory. To the religious, find freedom. To the one avoiding God, turn to the Lord. And as we look to Jesus, we find the one who has lovingly borne your sins, the sacrifice that never needs to be sacrificed again because He has perfectly atoned for you, as we look to Christ, we can't help but love Him because of His unending love for us, He loved us first. And as we look to Christ, we can, we can lean on Him because we see how strong He is. We see that death could not even hold Him down. Friends, let us enlarge our vision of God and perhaps the hardest thing to do here is to let go of the version you have of yourself that you're desperately pursuing that you might look to Jesus and trust the version of yourself that He has for us. And our only access to that is to look at the glory of God as though in a mirror and find ourselves being transformed daily to be more like Him. Now my hope is that for some of us who have been Christians here for a while, we're able to look back and see the way that God has worked in us, that as we've looked to Him, we see His fruit being born in our life, we see, you know, we're not all becoming kind of blonde hair, blue eyed, that weird picture of Jesus, that's not what we're getting at here, we're becoming more like Him, in His character, in His being, bearing His fruit. My hope is that we have people ahead of us that we can look to and say, I am thankful for the way God is at work in them and I see their maturity in Christ. I'm only inspired by them as much as they look to Jesus. I'm not trying to become them, I can't force that, but I'm inspired by them because God has been at work in them as they look at Christ. This is why we do growth groups. This is why we gather as church, that we might do this together and inspire and encourage one another so that we all might look to Christ. Don't look to me to be like me, do not look to others to be like them, but be encouraged by them as they look at Christ. Friends, we are gloriously being transformed in the freedom we have to encounter our glorious God as Father, through the Son and by the Spirit. Let me pray, O God, set this truth on fire in our hearts, that we might find peace and hope and boldness and joy and from glory to glory know You more and more, even as we are fully known. Amen."